Welcome to this episode of the Erasing Shame Podcast. My name is DJ Chuang. Thank you for tuning in. And on this episode, you'll hear my conversation with Dr. Judy Cha, who is the Director of Redeemer Counseling Services, a ministry of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, New York. And you may have heard of that church or its founding pastor, who was Reverend Timothy Keller, who is now with the Lord. And he shared so much wisdom about how to internalize and bring the gospel to change your heart. And that's why I titled this episode, Getting to the Heart of Healing and Hope. And in post-production on this episode, I ran into technical difficulty and realized the audio quality on my portion of the conversation was just subpar and rather irritating to those audiophiles that enjoy listening to podcasts at FM or CD quality. This one's probably more on the level of AM radio or walkie-talkie. So I'll experience quite a bit of shame and failure, but to be true, on experiencing erasing of shame, then we want to open up, be our authentic self, share honestly, confess our faults with one another and experience freedom and healing. So that's the why the show goes on um, as it was recorded. So thank you for tuning in and you'll want to listen to the great words of hope and insight that Dr. Judy Cha has to share with us and listen to the end where we will give you and your friend a chance to win a copy of her brand new book. Dr. Judy Cha is the author of this brand new book titled Who You Are, Internalizing the Gospel to Find Your True Identity. Judy Cha, welcome to the Erasing Shame podcast. Thank you, DJ, for having me. Judy, it is a thrill to connect with you, and we're going to get right into the topic of your book. Okay. All right. Our culture has a lot of different perspectives about identity, and some people will even use the phrase identity politics. And so what is, what is going on here that is so essential that we understand our true identity? Yeah, yeah. I think part of the reason why I uh, chose to write about identity, it is because, I mean, it's been a recurring theme since humanity has existed, but I think that you're bringing this up here as you're saying the question about who we are and how to obtain that identity probably has reached uh, a level of complexity uh, as our society has just evolved more and more and become more and more individualistic. And the cultural message about identity is don't let anyone tell you who you are, but find yourself within yourself. Uh, and I can sort of see the appeal of that uh, message, given that uh, historically our society has really oppressed those who are not the majority, right? Whether it is gender, race, and now sexuality. So we don't know how to love our neighbors very well. Uh, so I do agree that the awareness of diversity is important, but I think the real problem with identity is that we do not see our problem with 
identity as a spiritual one. And when I, um, when we really look at where's the origin of humanity, we cannot uh, exclude that aspect, the, the spiritual aspect of who we are. And the identity is a spiritual one. And <laughs> really know who we are fully uh, without truly believing what God says we mm. are. Uh, because this is how we were designed, right? We were designed as uh, derived identities, image bearers. So we have to face the one who created us to derive our identity from him. Um, mm. So that's sort of the premise of our my book, that uh, we are created to be uh, people who derive our identity from God. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, the core of who we are becomes more stable. And then that helps us to sort of order the other aspects of what makes us so unique, right? So how does my identity in Christ really matter? How does it play out? in me as a woman or as an Asian, right? Heterosexual. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's part of the reason why I wrote the book. Also, uh the the um in my experience of working with folks, uh my 30 years of counseling experience, I just think that the core of the core issue is the issue of uh if if we could just stabilize that, then uh we can also help people with symptom reduction and grieving their past wounds and really facilitating heart change. Yeah, before we get into that, um, I want to orient uh, us, particularly those in our audience that may not have a strong Christian background or spirituality, myself included. I did grow up in a Christian family. And Pew Research recently came out with some statistics that for Chinese and for Japanese, they find the least amount of value with religion. And so while we would say that everyone has a spiritual frame of reference, even if it's um, very impersonal, I have found in my Christian faith to have a personal God with a name who knows me to be far more powerful than a transcendent force that's a higher power. And I think um, perhaps in Western individualism, we're beginning to realize, hey, there's something attractive about the freedom to find our own identity or to shape it within. But it's also got a very dark side that recognizing, the Surgeon General has recognized that we're in a loneliness epidemic, that so much individualism circular identity actually hurts us. And so as you've um, really unpacked some deep and rich truths about identity, you, you've found that when we look for our identity elsewhere, uh, to use the language that's in the book, when we make idols out of other things instead of drawing our uh, identity from God, it really... Uh, hurts us yeah describe how that works as i said the the premise of my book is that we are derived identities that means we can't find ourselves within ourselves but that's the Mm. and so when you try to do that 
Unfortunately, I think it's created more confusion than clarity, okay? Because we do derive our identity from outside of ourselves. So even if it is not from God, <laughs> we have to know that we are derive, deriving who we are from voices outside of us, right? Yeah. Uh, so in terms of the idols, how that works, because we are trying to derive our identity from outside of us, and the cultural message has been very, very strong about your identity is based on achievements, based yeah. on what you accomplish, right? Uh, as as also as the specific characteristics that you bring, like gender and, and race and everything else. Uh, but anyway, I'm going against this idea that uh, you can't really effectively get who you are from going after achievements or accomplishments. Yeah. Those are not bad things. Yeah. But if you base your identity on those things, it will not be stable as you would like okay. it to. Because you have to keep pursuing those. Accomplishing one thing will lead to another thing that you need. And what if you fail? Then it's you don't feel good about you so it's not consistent enough to base your identity on that but that's what we do as people because we do try to come up with our own strategies to um, give us an identity and to uh, suppress the pain of the wounds that we've experienced living here right? mm -hmm. That connects so much for uh, us as Asian and Asian Americans that we're very um, sensitive to our social status and yes. our performance and accomplishments, and achievements, and titles. That's right. And mm -hmm. as you were saying this, I was thinking of uh, the athlete. They had a career ending injury. Oh, it is so devastating that oh, they've lost their identity, they've lost their career. And yet when we, if we're able to draw our identity from God, we still have value even amidst our injuries uh, apart from our accomplishments. Yes, yes, exactly. And I think you bring up a good point about our culture. The Asian culture is often referred to as the shame culture. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Although I believe we have, we all, humanity, have internalized shame ever since we lost connection with God when sin entered the world. That's how it makes it. We are all born with internalized shame. And so that's why the negative messages about us stick more firmly to us than positive ones. Um, but I think in particular, our, our Asian culture has really embodied that. And, and sometimes perpetuate that as a culture. Um, so coming to the, I, I don't know, um, the immigrant life has just made that shame a little bit more heightened, right? Because we do not belong here in some ways. We're not the majority. And we get the message. And it's subtle, subtle, like the, um, the, the perpetual foreigner mm. or the... Minority. Minority. Model minority myth. Model minority myth. All of those things that just kind of invalidates 
who we are in a very subtle way, right? And which can trigger shame. And what we do with that is we sometimes try very, very hard to be incorporated or assimilated into the majority. And sometimes we get this rude awakening, just like during the pandemic, when all the Asian hate crimes were happening. It was, it was, I think for me, I knew that there was discrimination and uh, I've experienced it myself. And so I knew that, but I didn't know how intense it was. Mm. That just really heightened my uh, awareness of how we've been here and we've we have successes in our culture and all these things and yet still we are discriminated against yes yeah and while we might not recognize the uh, marginalization and the microaggressions consciously subconsciously it's affecting us and our body carries that weight Absolutely. You know, anytime I walk into a room, I notice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think maybe many of your listeners can relate to that as well. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for acknowledging that. Now, uh, what your book does marvelously is you um, trace back the issues of shame back to the Garden of Eden back in Genesis 3. And how that also affects the core hurts in uh, not just spiritually, but in our uh, upbringing and our family context, and just as we are sensitive to our own imperfections in humanity. But yet, in many Christian churches, um, churches and pastors teach that all we need is Bible and prayer to get well because we're a new creation, and then mm-hmm. we can be free from our past but life doesn't work that way for most of us so you describe in the book how the gospel changes us from inside out and transforms us not just in how we think but how we feel can you describe a bit of how it works why it's so important to internalize the gospel yes um okay first let me respond to uh the importance of scripture and prayer I do think, you know, the Bible is God's um, chosen way to reveal himself to us. So it is very important. And prayer, of course, is our key component of interacting with him. But sometimes, you know, this idea of good things turning into ultimate things really helped me to see even those good things, our belief in the Bible and the prayer can turn into ultimate things of uh, something that's going to redeem us, right? To soothe our pain and get rid of our shame. And so when you emphasize that as the only thing or the main thing that's going to help us uh, like heal from our wounds and remove our shame, I think we are neglecting a big portion of who we are okay another another part of us we are made in the image of god but we are body souls right we are not exactly like god we experience life uh in a physical body 
And uh, what we experience here, the sin did not just infect our hearts, our souls, it affected our bodies. So we are subject to illness. We are subject to our, our system, bodily systems, not working as it's supposed to. Okay. Uh, and so, yes, we need the Bible and the prayer, but we also need um, understanding about how our body works, medication at times, and uh, somatic interventions at times to try to undo the damage that sin has done to our bodies. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, that's what I try to convey in the book that. Yes, it's important, our spiritual walk with him. But we are also bodies that need treatment and interventions that help us relieve those symptoms that are re caused by sin that we're living in, broken world and within perfect people. Would you summarize it as we are spiritual beings having a bodily experience? or the other way around? I will have to say that we are spiritual beings, living experience, uh, being in a body, right? Yeah. Uh, well, why do I say that? Well, because I feel like, no, I, not I feel like, I believe that we are made for eternity. Mm -hmm. Our spirits will live on forever. Mm -hmm. This is sort of a, temporary state that we are in in a body but that doesn't mean that it's not important right and uh and i think that god shows us that in genesis when he created us in a body and breathed his breath into us to bring us to life also he came to us in a body jesus came to us mm -hmm. so there is uh value i mean it's part of our glory as well right in the present time um and it will be fully restored is what i believe in the future yes. right very good and one of the verses that's been i've been meditating on recently is that our body is the temple of the holy spirit and even though I've had seminary training oh my and I've studied the scripture, so much of it is just cognitive and focused on the mind and the spirit and often neglecting the yes. lived experience that's in yes. the body yes. and how to engage our emotions and experiences. And so what your book um, has introduced, and I'm sure this took, many years of work with your team. Your book <laughs> refers to the gospel-centered integrative framework for therapy, and you demonstrate how both spirituality and psychology contributes to a person's healing and growth. How did you put that together, and how does it work? I know it's very complicated, but if you're able to give us an overview. Thank you, Thank you DJ. And I just want to say what you said about the Holy Spirit. That in itself just 
brings so much value to our body. Like he did not choose to reside in trees. He, yeah. he decided to reside in us, right? Um, in, in regard to, so our approach is very long name. So what we use is an acronym, GIFT, okay? And so GIFT has been in development for over two decades. And basically what I had in mind is, look, theology and psychology both try, they share a common ground in trying to answer these questions about people, right? About uh, uh, who we are, our nature, the human nature, uh, what's wrong with us and how to fix us, right? And how I see the theology contributing is it gives us like a macro understanding of people. For example, that we are derived identities. We were created that way. Um, and, you know, you'd be surprised. That's what psychology says, too. I mean, if you look at attachment theory, object relations, yeah. self-psychologists, strings of theories that really say the self is developed. And it really is from these very atta attachment uh, relationships, right, that we yeah first begin to put ourselves together and so it just clicked that there's lots of intersections in these uh both theology and psychology and understanding that um so theology gives us the macro and then psychology provides the more nuanced ways of understanding these big problems like sin like can you psychology tells me how our rational thinking is um, sometimes gets distorted and how our emotions are not regulated well and how our choices sometimes are not, you know, it just gives us more nuance to how our image bearing qualities are affected by sin. Okay. Uh, so, so in a way, what I wanted to do is take the truth. So there's, truth in the scripture and then i look at psychology and all that confirms this truth the little yeah. truths i would like to incorporate so that we have a bigger understanding of people and i think that when you understand people better then we can then not only diagnose what is wrong uh, but also make the treatment more complete right and that was the goal of gift well, gift is a gift to the body of Christ. And thank you so much for writing all this out. Congratulations on your brand new book, uh, Who You Are, Internalizing the Gospel to Find Your True Identity. And we are doing a book giveaway on Instagram for those who are listening or watching this video. Uh, hop over to our Instagram account. Uh, there's a link at erasionshame.com, or you can just go to Instagram.com slash erasing shame. Tag a few people. You can tag yourself and we'll do a random drawing a week after this episode releases. Would uh, love to get a book um, into your hand. Uh, you can order it yourself or win a copy for you or your friend. Uh, Judy, would you have a closing word as an encouragement to send us off? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, as uh, we are living this life, DJ, I think you and I both know that our hope is waning, isn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, well, 
okay, I feel that way. Um, partly because I think we are becoming more and more individualistic as a society and putting so much pressure on the individual to come up with our own identity, our purpose, meaning in life. Mm -hmm. uh, in other words, generate if, strategies that will effectively deliver what we want and make us happy. That's a lot of pressure on the individual. But also we are seeing that we're growing in our awareness that where we are, uh, where we're living, this is not a safe and secure environment. Okay. It is it is tough to be here. And however, as a counselor, here's what I've learned over all these years is that how we make sense of our experiences is so much more important to our psychological health than what we actually experience. Mm. And how we make sense of our present experiences is very much connected to what we are hoping for. You know? uh, you mentioned Tim Keller, and uh, he had an enormous impact on me as a person. Uh, and he used this analogy years ago, and it really stuck with me. You know, imagine uh, two people are given the same job, same condition, same task, but yeah. person A is told you're going to get $10,000 a year. Person B, $10 million a year. I mean, who do you imagine would enjoy this job more, feel more purpose and meaning in that job, right? It's person B because of the payoff. And so the expectation of what is to come matters greatly in how we make sense of our present experiences right. and uh, the reality is like we can generate hope of our own to a degree uh, through our strategies like for example i can i my hope of a healthy body can get me to eat better and exercise <laughs> but my strategy to obtaining health cannot guarantee me that I will not succumb to some sort of disease or spare me from death, right? So the strategies that we come up with, whatever it is, career, family, whatever it is, it has its place. It does. But it's also limited. And uh, I think what we need to thrive here is hope that is absolutely guaranteed. Yeah. And that is what we find in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So when you internalize uh, who this God is, who loves us so much to the same degree as he loves Jesus, who he is and how he sees us, then you not only know who you are better, but you will make, that makes all the difference in the way that we will make sense of our present experiences. Yeah. That is such a powerful and hopeful word, word and that will get us through thick and thin and everything. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Judy. It's been a great joy to chat with you and hope to meet you in person one day soon. Thank you. Me too. Thank you for having me. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay.
Lastly, everybody, thank you for listening to this episode of the Erase Machine Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Erasing Shame podcast. Check out the show notes at erasingshame.com and subscribe to our email for updates. We would love to hear from you, so please add your comments at our website or on social. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any podcast app, and you can also subscribe on YouTube or follow on Facebook. Please add a rating and review so we can reach more people with our message of health, hope, and compassion. This podcast is the digital outreach of Christian Asian Mental Health.